I want to share a story today from Rabbi Krohn. There's a lot of messages that you can take away from this story. I'll tell you what, what affected me, and I'll, I'll explain after the story is, you know, Kirov, you see people that are not so from, you want to help them get back to being from, etc., or becoming from. Very often we think to ourselves, I think people think to themselves, what skills do I need in order to show somebody back to, to Judaism? Right, a Jew that's lost. What skills do I need? And I think very often the skills that people think they, think they need are actually not necessarily what they really need to perform Kirov. I'll tell you just that before I even start the story. I think very often people think to themselves, to be a good Mikarev, so to do Kirov properly, I have to have all the answers. Right? People are going to ask questions, you have to have all the answers. And I think this story illustrates what's the MS, what's the truth. It doesn't have to do with that. That's not the main point. It's maybe a nice thing, but that's not necessarily the main point at all. So I want to share a story with you. Rabbi Kron told over. Amazing story. Rabbi Kron says that there was a fellow who approached him, and apparently people approach him all the time with the same, I have this amazing story I want to share with you, <laughs> and, you and, and, and you're going to put it in your book. And here's how you spell my name. So like, you know, they're already confident it's going to make it to the cover and into the book. Somebody approached him once. His name was Charles Abulafia. Incidentally, Abulafia is a name of one of the contemporaries of the Rashba, the time of the Rishonim. Abulafia. He was a Yid, came from Brazil. Now, this Charles Abulafia, he said over to Rabbi Kron the following story. He said, I have to share with you this story. And Rabbi Kron said, actually, this story did impress him. Like, this made the cut, actually. And when I heard it, I was, I was very, very inspired. So he said, I want to read this right, because I don't know if I could. Guaruja. Guaruja, apparently. Guaruja. Guaruja. No, no Spanish. I mean, what? Guaruja. Guaruja. I think it's a city in Brazil. Guaruja is a city in Brazil. So he says, this, this Jew, Charles Abulafia, he said he's from. He's Shomer Shabbos. His parents apparently weren't as from. But his parents used to live in a city called Guaruja. Guaruja. And he said that his parents would invite him for Shabbos sometimes. Sounds like he was older. Um, and he didn't live with his parents, but he said he would drive into his parents. They would invite him and say, look, there's a shul down the street from where we live, so come. Apparently there's a wealthy area. Come to our place and, and spend Shabbos with us. Beautiful. Fine. So he would go. Now, apparently, and again, I'm just based off what I heard, the highway that you would drive, there was one way, two lane highway going to Guaruja, and apparently you don't stop on that highway, it's dangerous. Like, there's a lot, the discrepancy between the wealthy and the poor is very significant, and the people that, there's a lot of crime, it's dangerous. Like, you don't stop your car, you just drive, you drive and drive. So, this Charles Abulafia was driving Friday afternoon to his parents, so, you know, maybe 100 miles drive to his parents and he had plenty of time before Shabbos like he said for example he filled up his gas tank you don't stop to get gas meaning it's dangerous it's just dangerous it's slummy there are you know, families that, people that would take advantage of you and definitely you don't stop so he said unfortunately as he was driving to his parents one of his tires went flat and he had to stop his car so he pulls over his car to the side of the road and now he's stuck in a little bit of a bind because Shabbos is coming he's 50 miles away from his parents 
no one's going to stop for him because everybody thinks as they're driving and there's somebody who pulled over, that could be a ruse to get us to get out of our car and then this guy could try to assault us, steal our car, kill us, etc. So no one's stopping for him. After a couple minutes pulled over, he thinks to himself, I, I got to do something. Shabbos is fast approaching. So he decides he's going to drive very slowly. It's a flat tire. It's not good to drive on the tires. It ruins the tires. But there's nothing else to do. So he drives very slowly to a side street and he pulls into the one, of, one of the slums on the side. He couldn't do anything about it. He had to get to his parents for Shabbos. So he pulls in over there and now it's like Mamish out of a scene of a movie. He said, or as Kron described it, he said like the moment he pulls in, a bunch of like little kids run over to him and there's like dogs running around, a bunch of guys not wearing shirts and it's like poor and dirty and just, you know, not the safest place to be, bottom line, especially for a guy, it seems like he had a fancy car. He's probably one of the wealthier people. So he pulls in over there not necessarily super safe. Pulls his car in, and he asks, does anybody here know how to fix a tire? I don't know, he didn't have the, the, the parts, etc. He's not going anywhere, nothing's happening. Finally, he looks over and he sees there's a car that looks like it's 30 years old sitting on the side, beat up, but maybe it works. So he said, does anybody know who this car belongs to? So one of the guys not wearing a shirt is like, yeah, it belongs to me, that's my car. They're speaking Portuguese, Brazil. So he says, all right, listen, what's your name? My name, my name is Charles. Oh, he's, my name's also Charles. Both named Charles. Beautiful. So he says, look, I really need to get to Guarujá before sundown. It's Friday night. I have to get there. You could keep my car here. Can you imagine that? I keep my car. Keep my car here. Can you please drive me in your car to Guarujá before Friday night, before sundown? I just need to get there. So the other guy says to him, and he says, Don't, I'll pay you whatever you need. Whatever you want, I'll pay you. Just get me over there. So he's leaving his car. He's offering to pay. So the other guy seems like a nice guy enough. Nice enough. And he said, okay, get in the car, get in the car. They start driving. So Charles Abulafia felt like he needed to explain to this guy what's going on. He just it seemed very out of place. I mean, I'm just imagining probably a wealthier looking person in a slum, which is like, you know, imagine you know, where you come from, but... Uh, where you don't really come from. But uh, anyways, not a good situation. So they're driving in the car. This guy doesn't even have a shirt on. And he's driving Charles Abulafia to Guarujá, which is like an upscale place. So Charles feels the need to explain to this guy, look, I'm Jewish, and six days a week we work. And on the seventh day, just as a God rested, we're also supposed to rest. And that's why I really appreciate you helping me out and driving me. It's a big favor for me. I really appreciate it. So the guy turns to him, he's like, Jewish? Of course I know about Jewish people. What do you mean you don't know about, you don't know about Jewish people? He says, I'm not Jewish, but my mother is Jewish. <laughs> so he says, really? Now, Charles didn't want to say, you know, that makes you Jewish, because he thought maybe the guy would like, throw him out of the car. He didn't, he didn't know what he was dealing with exactly. He's probably a rough guy, not maybe the safest situation. So he just was curious now. So he said to the guy, really, what, 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 uh, what's the story? So he said, actually... My mother came over from Holland. There were Jews living in Holland pre-World War II, and when the situation started to get bad for the Jews, the Nazis started to rear their ugly head. There were boats that went from Holland to Brazil. My mother was on those boats, so she came to Brazil. She stopped off at Santos, and she came to Brazil. But she was Jewish. She is Jewish, I should say, sorry. But... Me and my siblings were all we're all not we're, we're all Catholic. We're all, and he clearly didn't put two and two together. That was just not something he was aware of. So Charles got curious and he said, 
wow, my mother's Jewish. Where is your mother? Is, she, is your mother, she's alive, yeah, where is she? So he said, yeah, unfortunately she's not so well. She's in a hospital in some slummy area somewhere or another. So Charles turns to the guy and says, you think I could visit her? Fellow Jew. The guy says back to Charles, you visit her? Why would you visit her? He says, look, I'm a Jew, she's a Jew. Jews look out for each other, so I would want to go, I want to go visit her. So he says, well, it's in a not great area. You could go, and I appreciate that, but she's in uh, this hospital. It's on the third floor, the 10th bed. That would be wonderful if you could visit her. I really appreciate that. So Charles says back, yeah, you know what? On Sunday, before I come pick up my car, meaning on Sunday I'm going to come back after Sabbath, I'm going to come pick up my car. Before I pick up my car, I'll go visit her, and then I'll come pick up my car after in your neighborhood. So the guy's very, very happy about that, obviously. He's going to visit Charles is offering to visit his sick mother. It's a very nice thing to do. And that's what ends up happening. He makes it there for the Guarujá, which is unbelievable, drops him off at his parents for Shabbos, spends Shabbos there. Sunday morning, bright and early, he sets off to this hospital, gets into this hospital, and it's as dreary as it was apparently going to be, not, not uh, very uh, well kept. Charles walks into the hospital, goes to the third floor, 10th bed. He goes over to the lady lying in that bed, an old woman, and he approaches her and he says, are you Maria? So she says, yes, I am Maria. Who, who are you? How do you know my name? So she says, well, he says, well, your wonderful son was just helping me out. I was in a bind and he really helped me out big time. Your son, uh, Charles, helped me out. So she said, really, what, what is it? So he, he said, your son told me that you're Jewish. Why did he tell you that? I'm Jewish. What did he tell you that for? So he told her the story that I was stuck. It was... Erev Shabbos, and I had to get to Guadalajara. My car broke down. I did, he drove me there, and he told me that you're Jewish. So she said, yeah, it's true, I am Jewish. And he, she, she validated the story that her son had said. It's true. Pre-World War II, Nazis were getting powerful. Boats came from Holland, where she had grown up, to Brazil. They got off in Santos, and actually, she was raised, and she, she grew up in, and, and built a family in uh, Brazil. So he said to her, is there anything you remember from your childhood? Imagine this meeting. It's an unbelievable meeting. Is there anything you remember from your childhood about being Jewish that particularly stands out to you? So she said back to him, she closed her eyes, and she started to say, in perfect Hebrew, Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech haolam and then she just starts crying. She just couldn't, she couldn't even finish off. She couldn't even finish off. She said, and then she finished off, she said, She said, when I was growing up, I remember my abuela, my grandmother, she used to light the Shabbos candles every Friday night, and I used to love my grandmother. I used to love spending time with her. And I got sent over to this country to be saved from the Nazis, and when I came over to this country, they forced me to go to Catholic schools, and when I got older, they forced me to marry a Catholic guy who I have seven children from who are, in fact, actually Jewish, and I hated it, I hated the school, and I didn't want to be married to a Catholic, and I always retained my Jewish identity. I always believed in one God. I didn't believe in what they were selling me, but that's what ended up happening. Imagine, in some far-flung hospital, this woman, old lady, and because another Yid wanted to, had obviously struggled, just wanted to see what's going on. He went to visit her, and who knows what he did for her, but the story continues. So he says to her, okay, look, Maria, when you get out of this hospital, please give me a call. I want to come visit you and talk to you. I'll come check in on you. 
So she says, sure. So a couple weeks later, she gets out of the hospital, she gives him a call, and she says to him, you sure you want to visit me? This is not the greatest place to come. I don't know if you want to visit. I want to come visit you. He comes to visit her, and on her front door, there's a huge cross. On her front door, there's a huge... So he walks into her house, he waits for everybody else to leave, and he says to her, Maria, you're Jewish, how do you have a cross? She said, I hate it. I hate it. I hated growing up like that. I hated being married in that way. And I hated being associated with that. But that's just what it was. Can you get rid of it? So he said, he took the cross off the door. He brought it to his car and he smashed it in the car. the of destroying Unbelievable. The fulfillment of getting rid of idol worship. And he said that a few days later, he was told that she had passed away. End of the story. So Rabbi Kron says that he told over the story to Rabbi David Kohn. And essentially... He said, Rav David Kohn responded, who knows if because of that one interaction that she had with a Jew, it could have been the first interaction she had with a Jew in 80 years. It's possible. In 80 years, it's possible. Who knows if because of that, maybe at the end of her life, she did teshuva, she said Kriyashma one more time, she made a bracha one more time. Who knows what he could have accomplished just because he had love for a fellow Jew. He knew there was a fellow Jew in a tough spot and he wanted to check in on her, see what it was about. And he even knows she was Jewish, he just knew through that testimony. And with that I conclude, I think, you know, it comes to Kirov, just Kirov. People think sometimes to do Kirov properly you have to have all the answers. I think it's not true. You know some answers, that's for sure. But what you really have to have to do Kirov properly is you have to have a Havas Yisrael. You have to have love for a fellow Jew. You might not know all the answers, but if you show another Jew you really care, you genuinely care about them. If you show that, you can actually accomplish tremendous things, just like in this story. And I think everyone has to think about that for a minute. We all have people in our lives, and I think about it often, often. Unfortunately, it might be relatives, friends. They took the wrong turn in life, right? They're not connected. They're not affiliated. So sometimes people think, you know, I have to learn up all the answers all the responses to their questions, that, that might be partially true, but I don't think it's really true. The emiss is to work on Ahavas Yisrael, because if you really have love for a fellow Jew, so that Jew is disconnected, you'll say the right things, you'll be sensitive to them, you'll show them you care for them, and that will bring them back to Judaism. And we all have in our families, our friends, circles, something, people that uh, disenchanted, disconnected. I think that's the most important lesson, perhaps, in Kirov.